0: Good morning, Uh, excuse me, that was special effects included for you. Last uh, week it was such a delight to be with all of you. I love the music, the fellowship, the worship. I wanted to be back. No, don't fear. By the Lord's grace, I'm here and uh, through Lauren's invitation. And again, it's a privilege to open the word. Before we do that, I got to say something about Phil Manley as you can see, for those of you who don't know him, he's, he's an exemplary pastor. I mean, you listen to him pray, the way he talks, and he's really a man of God. And I was telling him, I wish he just kept praying and preaching, you know. Such a great man. He's a, he's a godly gentleman, a GG for short, a godly gentleman. He's wonderful. I had a class years ago in seminary. I hope he's still teaching it, ministering to the death and dying. Maybe some of your husbands have taken it. And even if your husband, for those of you who are married, uh, is not in seminary or even if Phil is no longer teaching that class, you can send him to Phil and uh, he'll teach him some good lessons of discipleship. He's such a great man. Even in class, he gave us advice on which shoes to wear, which ties to wear. Uh, of course, you know, suggestions. Don't think, oh, now the is even the ties. He's legalizing on the ties. But uh, he's such a great man, and truly we're, we're privileged to have men like that and women like you, and just to, uh, by the Lord's grace, to continue uh, being faithful with the legacy the Lord has entrusted to us. And again, it's a blessing to come back to Leviticus, and we plan to finish it this morning. We have planned to focus on selected passages from the last two chapters of Leviticus. That is chapters 26 and 27. And we'll greet the ladies in Spanish. I have to obey our dear Lauren. Hermanas queridas, es un honor estar con ustedes. Que el Señor las bendiga. That way we oil the tongue. We warm it up to keep going. Now we're ready. Now... Leviticus chapters 26 and 27 are full of rich truths. But they are probably some of the most misapplied chapters in the book of Leviticus. For example, some of us have read these chapters and concluded that if we are obedient to the Lord, He will give us health, a stable income, and we will be obedient also in giving our tithes to the church. And then... You try to obey and you get sick and you have an unexpected expense. You have some sort of illness or your car breaks down and now you cannot earn money because you can't work because you are sick. And on top of that, you need to have the car fixed and therefore you have to pay and you still think that you need to tithe. And at that point, you might think, wow, why is the Lord not activating the promises in Leviticus 26? But as you know, that is not really how Leviticus chapters 26 and 27 apply to you as a Christian woman. And we want to answer why in our study. Um, With that in mind, and in order to do that, we are going to divide our study in two parts. Two parts to make it easy for our understanding of what we're planning to study this morning. We're going to look at two pairs of instructions That help us to live in obedience. That is our plan. Two pairs of instructions. That help us to live in obedience. The first pair. We find it in chapter 26. Obedience and disobedience. Instructions related to obedience and disobedience. In chapter 26. And the second pair. We find it in chapter 27. Instructions on vows and tithes. Instructions on vows and tithes. Let's look at the first pair in chapter 26. Instructions on obedience and disobedience. Instructions related to obedience and disobedience. How do we apply the promises of blessing in Leviticus 26, 1-13? through How do we apply the promises of blessing in Leviticus 26, 1-13 through to our lives? Short answer... The New Testament. In other words, only what the New Testament teaches or commands us as a church is what we can apply. But let's be more specific and focus on two truths from Leviticus 26, 1 through 13 that we can apply. Two specific truths from Leviticus 26, 1 through 13 that we can apply. There are more but since our time is limited, we're just focusing on these two. First truth that we can apply from Leviticus 26, 1 through 13, is this. The Lord is the source of temporal blessing. The Lord is a source of temporal blessing. We see this reflected in Leviticus 26, 4 to 6. Look at it. Leviticus 26, verse 4. Then I... After he told them that they need to obey. If they obeyed, Leviticus 26, 4. Then, says the Lord, I shall give you rains in their season. So that the land will give forth its produce. And the trees of the field will give forth their fruit. Verse 5. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering. And grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. Verse 6. I shall also give you peace in the land so that you may lay down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate wild beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. A question for you. Does the Lord continue to give rain? Yes, of course. Does the Lord continue the sun to cause the sun to rise? Yes, of course. How do we know this? Well, it is not because you see it, but because of what the Word of God says. Matthew 5.45, He causes His Son to rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Acts 14.17, He fills our hearts with gladness, giving us fruitful times. 1 Timothy 6.13, He gives life to all things. In other words, it is because of His common grace, that's a That's a theological phrase, as you know. In other words, he shows grace. He shows favor to those of us who don't deserve it, which is all of mankind. He shows his goodness, his kindness, a level of love that is common grace to all humanity, whether or not they're believers. And therefore, it is because of his common grace that we can eat, that we can sleep, And not be at war and robbed all the time. And any other temporal blessing that we enjoy. So we enjoy so many temporal blessings. So many temporal blessings to thank the Lord for. Second truth that we can apply from Leviticus 26, 1 through 13. When we obey, we enjoy a taste of the spiritual blessings given to us in Christ. When we obey, when we obey the Lord, we enjoy a taste of the spiritual blessings given to us in Christ. We can see this principle in Leviticus 26.11. Look at Leviticus 26.11 for a moment. Moreover, this is the Lord talking again to Israel. Moreover, Leviticus 26.11 I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not loathe you. Verse 12, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. In brief, this means that they would enjoy a close relationship to the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit, in his grace, prepared for us the application of this text, because verse 12, Leviticus twenty-six, twelve is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.16. And in 2 Corinthians 6.16, Paul applied Leviticus 26.12 to us Christians in this way. Listen, since God lives in us, we need to separate ourselves from sin. And when we do this, we enjoy the blessing of close fellowship with the Lord Manifested by the fruit of the spirit, listen during this age the church age our age when we are obedient to the scriptures as Christians, the Lord blesses us primarily in a spiritual way, not in a material way and we see this manifested in the fruit of the spirit in galatians five twenty two and twenty three as you know galatians five twenty two and twenty three does not say the fruit of the spirit is Health, wealth. No. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. And the Lord in his grace may grant to us material, temporal blessings according to his will, as we see in first Timothy six seventeen. Command to those who are rich in this world. Paul told Timothy there in First Timothy six seventeen, and he was talking about material riches. And as a believer, as you are faithful to the Lord, he has promised to provide what you need to live for the time he wants you alive. Matthew 6:25 through 33. But you cannot take this passage on blessings on Leviticus 26 and think that the Lord has promised to you that if you obey you will be healthy and rich. That is a wrong interpretation and a wrong application. In fact, if you are obedient The Lord promises one thing, persecution. Persecution. You say, where did you find that? 2 Timothy 3.12, remember? 2 Timothy 3.12. Those who want to live godly will suffer persecution. Now, in verses 14 through 46, we find the promises for their disobedience. Promises for their disobedience in Leviticus twenty-six fourteen through forty-six. As a commentator said, this section of Leviticus twenty-six fourteen through forty-six, this section on the promises for disobeying, listen to this, is about three times longer than the section on promises for obeying. Three times longer is the section on the promises for disobeying. Than the section on the promises for obeying. Why? Why? Probably because of human sinfulness. We say probably because the text does not tell us explicitly here. But we say that this is probably because of human sinfulness. Because Ecclesiastes 8.11. Ecclesiastes 8.11 affirms the principle that punishment refrains evil. Punishment refrains evil, Ecclesiastes 8.11. So, the length of this section of Leviticus 26.14-46 on the promises for their disobedience, the length of this section could show that many times fear of judgment can be a stronger motivation to obey than the expectation of blessing. I mean, think about it. We often refrain from sin because of the pain that we could face if we sin, don't we? We don't always refrain from sin because of the blessing we could enjoy if we obey. You also see that with your children and your grandchildren, don't you? Think about it. How do we spend most of the time motivating some of our children to obey? By describing how much they will be rewarded, how much they will be blessed for their obedience? No, How much it will hurt them if they disobey. So the Lord said to the Israelites here in Leviticus 26 If you violate the covenant, I promise that I will judge you and bring suffering to your life. And this suffering will come, according to this text, in what we can call five levels or five categories, so to speak. Five categories. Like the hurricanes, the higher the category, the stronger the hurricane. Again, that's just for the sake of illustration. Obviously, this text doesn't say anything about hurricanes. But yes, there are five levels. I mean, it goes from lower to the highest. And if they did not repent, let's say with a category one level of judgment, the Lord would bring a category two judgment that would be stronger and stronger and stronger. And the more they persisted in their sin, the more the Lord would increase suffering in their lives. This leads us to one question. Does the Lord discipline us today in the same way by levels? Does the Lord discipline us today in the same way by levels? If we as Christians sin, does the Lord bring a little suffering to our lives And if we don't repent, he turns up the volume, so to speak. And he brings more and more until we repent. Answer, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Remember, this was for them. Don't think that in our time as a church, the Lord does the same. In his sovereign grace, he might, but don't count on it. There's no indication of this in the New Testament for us as a church. Don't think, well, I have four rounds of sin before he kills me (laughs) and takes me to heaven. So I'll sin up to the third round and then I'll repent. Because in the fourth one, he's going to kill me and take me to glory. No, no. This was for Israel under the old covenant. But there's a principle here that applies to us. And the principle is, as you well know, God judges our disobedience. God still judges our disobedience as believers living in the age of the church. Where do we find that in the New Testament? Several places. One of them is 1 Corinthians 11. You remember 1 Corinthians 11? When we partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, God can bring discipline to our lives. He can bring, as he told the Corinthians, some of them were weak. Some of them were sick. And some of them were even sleeping. In other words, he had even taken some of those Corinthians to glory. So when we partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, God can bring physical weakness and disease into our lives and even death. Hebrews 12 also talks about the Lord's discipline. It's important that Hebrews 12, again, emphasizes that. So don't think that you can sin and just abstain from the Lord's table. You sin and you you think, well, I'm going to avoid the Lord's discipline by not partaking of the Lord's table. No. No, of course not. He knows when you're sinning. And he doesn't need for you to partake in the, of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner to bring discipline to your life. Hebrews 12. If you're a true believer and the Lord disciplines you to the point of death, you end up in heaven. Romans 8, one, Because there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. But. The prospect of judgment through discipline should motivate us to live all sin in our life. Now, does this mean, another question here, does this mean that if you have health problems and financial problems, the Lord is judging you because you are sinning? Not necessarily. Think about Job. Remember? Job 1. Job chapter 1. He was a faithful man. But the Lord chose to take away his health, his money, even his children, not because Job was sinning. At the beginning of Job, remember, it tells us that he was a faithful man, fearing the Lord. The Lord afflicted Job because Job was faithful. And the Lord wanted to use Job to teach a powerful truth about true faith. Same with Paul. Remember, he was faithful, but he really suffered. He really suffered. So the Lord might bring affliction to your life to make you more dependent on him. As he did with Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Remember with the thorn in the flesh. But look at verse 16. Here's another great truth throughout this text. Notice the Lord's control over all these areas of judgment. Here comes category one level of judgment. This is the softest one. This is the lightest one in Leviticus 26 verses 16 and 17. Leviticus 26:16, The Lord says, if they disobeyed, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror consumption. This refers to some kind of illness that apparently consumed them. We don't know exactly how we don't know exactly what it is. And, the text continues, verse sixteen, and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. Notice in verse sixteen that he controls health and productivity at work and the safety of goods. Verse seventeen This continues to be the category one level of judgment. Leviticus twenty six seventeen. And I will set my face against you. So that you will be defeated before your enemies. And those who hate you will have dominion over you. And you will flee when no one is pursuing you. This shows that he also has control over international relations. And look at verse 18. Notice how the Lord, the Lord would turn up the level of judgment. If they did not repent. Verse 18, Leviticus 26, 18. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will discipline you and listen to this seven times more for your sins. The idea is not that the Lord has some sort of table and level one, two, three, four, five, you know, like a volume. The idea here is that the next level of judgment would be stronger, more severe, more intense. And this moves to what we can call category two. And in the category two judgment, the Lord would not give them rain, verse 19. They would not have fruit, verse 20. This shows also that he controls the weather and vegetation. Now, remember, we are calling these increasing levels of judgment categories just to illustrate this truth in the passage. The idea is that the Lord was going to increase The force of the judgments if they did not repent. If they persisted, verse 21, the Lord would move on to a category three judgment. And in the category three judgment, verse 22, the Lord would kill their children and their animals. And this shows that he controls the life of every living being. And even with, and even, and even, and if, even with that level of judgment, they did not repent. The Lord would move on to a category for judgment in verse 25. Look at it. Leviticus twenty-six, twenty-five. I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. And when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence. This is sickness. Among you so that you shall be given over into enemy hands. Notice that God would send them sickness wherever they were. They could not hide from sickness and death. This again shows that he controls sickness and death. Health, sickness, life, death. So in this category four of judgment, he will cause them to be sick, to die. And also verse 26 Leviticus 26:26 26, 26. this is part of the category 4 judgment the level 4 Leviticus 26:26 26, 26. when i break your staff of bread ten women will bake your bread in one oven and they will bring back your bread by ration weight so that you will eat and not become full what is this the lord will cause food to be scarce it will be scarce these are conditions of starvation Starvation. And this shows that he also controls the economy. Notice the strong emphasis on the Lord's sovereignty throughout chapter 26. He is able to bring all these blessings and affliction because he is a sovereign. Very important truth. He's able to bring all these blessings and affliction because he's a sovereign. He controls it all. His sovereignty rules over all. He controls every detail of his creation. Listen. great truth here. Very important. Listen. His creation is at his disposal. His creation is at his disposal, and he uses his creation to bring gladness. Or affliction to our lives according to his purposes. He uses his creation as an instrument to bring gladness or affliction to our lives according to his purposes. And we need to remember something. Having said this, you need to remember that without approving sin or being the author of sin, he can use everything in his creation according to his perfect purposes, to bring temporal blessings to your life or to bring temporal afflictions to your life. And we, we live this truth every day. Think about it. He can use your husband in this way. I mean, the Word of God says it, not because someone told us something. Marriage is the grace of life, First Peter 3. It's a blessing. We enjoy wonderful temporal moments, but it is also affliction of the flesh. First Corinthians 7. And there are times when it is very tough. You're not the only one. Until we're in glory, there will be a measure of affliction in your marriage. Because we're imperfect. We obey in an imperfect way. Our spouse obeys in an imperfect way. And it is tough, even after many, many years. Like someone said, just the first 50 years are the hardest. (laughs) After that, you cruise. No. You know that you don't cruise those of you who have the blessing of being, having been married a, more than 50 years. But it's the same with everything else. He can use food, health, the weather, a kind supervisor in your job, or an unkind supervisor in your job. He can use money. He can use the national economy. He can use the relations among the nations. Even when someone at church Deals with you, maybe a kind sister might be a blessing or a not so kind sister might be a trial. A relative, a neighbor, everything, everything. The Lord can use and uses his creation as an instrument of blessing or affliction according to his purposes. As we see in this great passage. And this is a powerful reality. This should encourage us to fear him. I mean, he's the only one who's in control of All his creation. This should encourage us to be obedient. To be grateful to him. To trust him. To be content. Now, if with the sickness, death, and lack of food of verses 25 and 26, the Israelites did not repent, then the Lord was going to punish them even more for their sin. And now, we move on to the category 5, judgment. This is horrible, as you know from your study. And the rest of the chapter is very, very important. Look at verse twenty nine. Leviticus twenty six twenty nine. Our Lord tells them further. That is, if they didn't repent, we just keep some verses there. If they did not repent, Leviticus twenty six twenty nine, further. You will eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. This is something terrible. This is inconceivable. They will be so hungry. They will be so consumed with themselves. That they would eat their children. It is just repulsive to think about this. This is cannibalism. This is something horrendous. But notice that God mentions this. In the context of judging them because of their disobedience. We need to underline this. In no way. In no way was he excusing them for this terrible, sinful practice of cannibalism. This was fulfilled centuries later in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 28 and 29 and other passages. And verses 31 through 39 were a warning that was fulfilled centuries later. When the Lord used Assyria and Babylon To judge Israel exactly as he told them here. But notice verse 41. In the midst of such strong judgments. Here we find a silver lining of hope. Leviticus 26.40. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. In their unfaithfulness which they committed against me. And also how they walked in hostility against me. Verse 41. I also was walking in hostility against them. To bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humble. So that they then make up for their iniquity. What is this? In one word. Repentance. This is true repentance. We need to ask a question here. Very important. Why would our Lord judge them by levels? Why would our Lord judge them at first not as strong? And then if they persisted, increase the strength and increase the strength and increase the strength. Why would our Lord judge them by levels? Why not crush them from the beginning? Here's the answer in verses 40 and 41. He judged them by levels to lead them to repentance. Repentance. To lead them to true repentance. To repentance from the heart. This is a great truth. In order to lead them to repentance. He would increase the strength of the judgments. Without giving them what they deserve. You say what? He did not give them what they deserve. No. What did they deserve? What do we all deserve? Hell. Romans 6.23 this is an example of Romans 2.4. Romans 2.4. This is an example of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. The kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Romans 2.4. You might have an older child or a spouse who is suffering because of his sin. And he has heard the gospel. But he continues to sin and continues to suffer because of his sin. Don't think that the Lord does not know what's going on. Don't think that the Lord does not care. Our Lord knows. Our Lord cares. He knows better than anyone what's going on in that life. He cares more than anyone. The reason why he hasn't killed your child or spouse who persists in his unbelief is kindness. Kindness. Because Romans 2.4, he's being patient, kind, to lead them to repentance. So this should give us hope. This should encourage us to continue to pray for their salvation. Continue making the effort to stay away from sin and to back up the gospel with an obedient life. And even if we have relatives in our family who might be believers but are struggling with a sin or not forsaking a sinful way of thinking or of living. We need to keep praying for them. And remember that the Lord's goodness can lead them to repentance as another application of this great truth. Now look at verse 42. Leviticus twenty-six forty-two. If Israel repented, Leviticus 26, 42, then I will remember, notice the repetition of the word remember three times in verse 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land. Not that God had forgotten, of course. No. Now, this is not the same covenant of verse 15. This is the Abrahamic covenant here in Leviticus twenty-six forty-two. Notice something very important. Even though Israel violated the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, and was judged, the Lord would not reject Israel permanently because of the Abrahamic Covenant, verse 42. In that sense, he remembered. He would not forget about it. Remember, the Abrahamic Covenant is an unconditional covenant. Remember, the Old Covenant is no longer in operation in our day. But the Abrahamic covenant is. What was the Abrahamic covenant? The Lord promised to Abraham three things. In summary, land, nation, blessing. Land, nation, blessing. And God is going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. Has he already fulfilled it? No. No. Israel is not in their land. Is not enjoying blessing. We're, under, we're in the times of the Gentiles, according to Luke. When will the Lord fulfill the Abrahamic covenant? When the Lord returns in Revelation nineteen and establishes his millennial kingdom, Revelation twenty. Then will the Lord fulfill with Israel the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. Romans eleven, twenty five through twenty seven, also shows that when the Lord comes, Israel will be saved. This is after the seven year tribulation. Remember of Revelation chapter six through eighteen. We also see the salvation of Israel in verse 41 here. And listen, just as verses 21 to 39 happened exactly as the Lord said, verses 40 to 42 will happen exactly as the Lord said. Very important. This is, there comes a literal for fulfillment. Just as you see it, they hear in their curses, just as they literally ate their children, they will literally, verse 42, will enjoy the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 42, I will remember the land. They will be in their land. And look at verse 44. This is beautiful. Leviticus twenty-six, forty-four. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them. Nor will I so loathe them as to bring an end to them. Breaking my covenant with them. For I am Yahweh their God. Even while they were under judgment, the Lord would not reject them permanently. The Lord would not break the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 45, Leviticus 26:45. But I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations. That I might be their God. I am Yahweh. This is a great statement of our Lord's faithfulness. Listen. Despite of all of Israel's sin. The Lord will never leave them because of the Abrahamic covenant. And here you have the most important lesson in Leviticus 26. God's faithfulness. Our Lord's faithfulness. In fulfilling his word, in fulfilling his covenants. Listen, our Lord fulfills everything he says in his word. Not one jot nor while nor not not one tittle will pass from the law until everything is fulfilled. Matthew five eighteen. This should motivate us, Matthew five eighteen, to trust in him, to trust in his word. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when our circumstances don't encourage us to trust in his word. We need to trust in him, in his word. Now remember, we are looking at two pairs of instructions that help us to live in obedience. We already, we already saw the first pair, obedience and disobedience, chapter 26. Let's finish briefly with the second pair, chapter 27 Vows and tithes. Instructions regarding vows and tithes. We plan to look at chapter 27 in just a few minutes. Don't fear this point won't be as long. Now, Leviticus 27 teaches us the responsibility that God gave Israel in two areas. In summary, their vows and their taxes. That's what tithes were. Vows, voluntary vows. In their service to the Lord, that's, that's the first section of chapter 27, and their tithes, which were really like taxes for us in our day. Now, in verses 1 through 29, Leviticus 27, 1 to 29, we see instructions regarding vows. Look at verse 1, Leviticus 27, 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Verse 2 Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man makes a difficult vow, He shall be valued according to your valuation of persons belonging to Yahweh. Now, the word vow here in verse 2, and throughout this section, refers to a promise of voluntary dedication to the Lord that the Israelites could make. This is very important to understand. The word vow here in Leviticus 27, verses 1 through 29. The word vow here and throughout this section refers to a promise of voluntary dedication to the Lord that the Israelites could make. They could serve directly in the tabernacle like little Samuel did in 1 Samuel chapter 2, remember? That's an example of this kind of vow, what Hannah did with Samuel. But if they did not fulfill their vow or promise of service to the Lord or they wanted to take back the animals or property that they had voluntarily dedicated to the Lord, they would have to pay what we could call a fine. They would have to pay a fine. Verse 3, Leviticus 27, 3. If your valuation is of a male from 20 years even to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Verse 4, or if it is a female then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. If it be verse 5 from 5 years even to 20 years old, then your valuation for the male shall be 20 shekels and for the female 10 shekels. But verse 6, if they are from a month even up to 5 years old, then your valuation shall be 5 shekels of silver for the male and for the female your valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. Verse 7, if they are from 60 years old and upward, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels and for the female 10 shekels. What is going on here? Why did they have to pay more for the men than for the women? I mean, let's be honest. That's, that's a question here. I mean, this sounds like the life passage for the macho man. Why did they have to pay a higher fine, verse 3, for the man who was 20 to 60 years old than, let's say, verse 6, for the girl who was one month to five years old? A man who was 20 to 60 years old because we, the men of that age, are so high maintenance? No. Well, well, some of us are, let's admit. But the reason why the men of this age had to pay more was probably because of their ability to serve in the tabernacle. A man from 20 to 60 years old, for example, could have helped with animals that were sacrificed, or could have carried heavier things, obviously, than a little girl. So that is probably why they had to pay more. Again, we say probably because the text does not tell us explicitly. We are concluding this based on what the context is, on what the verses are saying, related to making a voluntary promise of service to the Lord. Now, just to... Give you an idea of how much money this was. This was a lot of money. What they had to pay. In verse 3 they had to pay 50 shekels of silver. You know how much it was 50 shekels of silver? It was equal to 50 months of work. 50 months of work. A little over 4 years worth of work. That's a lot of money. Why so much? This would have discouraged them, listen, to make a commitment to the Lord lightly. To commit, even if it was voluntary, this would have discouraged them to make a voluntary commitment in their service to the Lord lightly. One application for us of verses 1 through 29 could be that the Lord does not want us to treat worship lightly, but rather reverently in godly fear as Hebrews twelve twenty-eight and twenty-nine say. Remember? We we come to him, Hebrews twelve twenty-eight and twenty-nine with gratitude, with holy fear, knowing that our God is a consuming fire. Another application would be going back to first Corinthians eleven, not to partake of the Lord's table lightly. First Corinthians eleven not in an unworthy manner, not in a ritualistic manner, not tolerating sin in our life. And notice how chapter 27 ends. Look at the last section of Leviticus 27. Here we find instructions on tithes, verses 30 through 34. Instructions on tithes. Leviticus 27:30. Thus, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree belongs to Yahweh. It is holy to Yahweh. Verse 31, if therefore a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add to it one-fifth of it. Verse 32, for every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to Yahweh. What What does this mean? Well, apparently what they did, is that they passed the animals under a stick to count them, and they counted one, two, three, four, a number ten was for the Lord. That's the idea here. Now, this does not mean that at the self-checkout at the grocery store, every tenth thing you buy has to be given to the church. No. The tithe mentioned in verses 30 through 33 refers to the tenth part that they gave to God. This tithe was for the Levites and priests and was given to the Levites each year. And remember, along with two more tithes found in Deuteronomy chapter 14, in total, these three, three, these, these three tithes equal 23 percent per year. We could, we could see this as a tax. We could see this as a tax. This is what the Lord's holy IRS required. We need to emphasize that holy IRS. If they had used 1040s in those days, their 1040s had to report this. So for Israel, tithes were mandatory. Their tithes were what taxes are for us. And of course, among many other passages in the New Testament, Romans 13, verse 6 and 7 commands us to pay taxes. So are we commanded to give tithes to the church? No. Why? Because we're not the children of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, verse 44 gives you a clue. Verse 34, rather. Leviticus 27, 34 gives you a clue of how not to apply this passage to our lives. Leviticus twenty-seven thirty-four: These are the commandments, chapter 27, which Yahweh commanded Moses for the sons of Israel at Mount Sinai. Under the Old Covenant, 1445 B.C., that's it. We're not the children of Israel. Under the Mosaic Covenant... We are not commanded to give tithes to the church. The New Testament does not command us to give tithes as offerings to the church. God does not command us to give a certain percentage or fixed amount as an offering to the church. What does he command us? 2 Corinthians 9 7. 2 Corinthians 9 7. Remember what it says? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's voluntary. You want to give 10%, you want to give 30%, 2%. It's between you and the Lord. It has to be proportional, sacrificial, and other principles that we find in Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Leviticus is an incredible book, isn't it? And we pray that this study will remind us of how little we know the Scriptures. And how much we need to study them. So that we can continue growing. In our understanding. And love for our Lord. Expressed in our obedience. Let's pray to finish. Lord we bless you. And again. These wonderful truths encourage us. Confront us. And remind us of. Of how rich is your word. How much we need to study. it. Not even a whole life here on earth. Is enough. To. Study your word. We pray that you will give us understanding. You will continue blessing these dear ladies. Through the understanding of your word. For your glory. Amen.